0: Bring the stool back. Um, several weeks ago, I gave what apparently is now an infamous <laughs> stool chat. Wow, <laughs> people have referred to it <laughs> to me, um, which I didn't anticipate. But whatever, it worked. I'll bring it back. Okay. Um, uh, f- I don't remember how long ago that was. A few weeks ago, um, I told you about... What we are trying to figure out what to do as leaders and uh, with the number of people that have been in the room and, and what are we going to do? We just ordered all these chairs and we already have too many people for the chairs. What are we supposed to do? Apparently, I scared some of you. Some of you thought I was dying or on the verge of it, and I apologize. That, it may just because I'm not good at emotions They don't like, come through well, and I apologize for that. Um, our, our staff and session have been praying and, and trying to figure out what to do. We had a retreat um, last weekend together, which was great. And uh, we've, we've looked at what are our options here. Um, we talked about how to, we could really try to put a ton of money into our building to try to make it slightly larger. And none of us are really interested in doing that. We don't want to put a quarter of a million dollars into our building, not right now. Unless you've got it. <laughs> that, might, that might change the equation. Um, and so we really feel like the, the best thing that we need to do is to have two services on, on Sunday morning, which is very different for us. I'll be very honest with you. I've never been somebody just by disposition, by personality, that says, I want to go to a church with two services. Now I have to do them. And um, I would never say I was inclined to do that. And we have no interest in, like, extending a brand somewhere or establishing, like, an empire or or anything like that. We have no designs on anything like that. But there are a few reasons why we feel like we should do this together. One is that we feel like, and this has always been true, that what Valley Hope does well, whatever's on that list, happens better in a smaller room, not a larger room. We want you to be known deeply. And we do not want to be a church where people are comfortable slipping in and slipping out and never being known. So the the answer to try to find more ways to pack more people into this room to make this room bigger, to just keep stuffing more people in here is less appealing to us. We want it to be hard for you to come and to leave without being seen and known. Going to two services ha- makes that happen. It helps make that happen. Um, we include our children in that calculus. We want our kids to be able to be in smaller rooms. We don't want to keep trying to find ways to... we We have like 70 kids over there at times. And we hear from our teachers, some of you are like, this is insane. I cannot handle 20 children in this room. We hear you and we don't want an atmosphere for our children that we wouldn't want for ourselves as adults. We wanna treat them and honor them for the people that they are. So we wanna have smaller classrooms, not bigger ones. Um, We believe that we have the possibility in the next three to five years to really invest ourselves in planting a church in this area. We've talked about that since we've been a church plant. And we wanna take actual concrete steps towards doing that. Budgetary steps, people steps, leader steps, and we believe that having two services will help in that direction. That we will multiply in order to multiply our church. Why do we wanna plant a church in Asheville? Or, or the immediate area. Because this place is growing. There are so many people that have come here. And there are not enough healthy, vital churches in this region. You know how I know? Because there's pagans everywhere. People who don't love Jesus. And as long as there's lots of people who don't love Jesus, we need more Churches. I've met with two friends recently who are planning on planting in Black Mountain. And you know what I said to them? Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you are doing that. I am not threatened by our sort of monopoly of the valley. I don't care. In fact, I do care. I'm glad that you're doing it. Please plant there and let's plant in Swannanoa too. If you wanna plant down the road, let's go. We need more healthy and vital churches and we wanna play a part in that. And we believe that this is something that we can move towards in the next three to five years. And we want more room we want more room in here to invite our friends, our family, our coworkers, and our neighbors. We want our neighborhood to come to this church. And there are too many Sundays when they walk in and there is literally no room for them. And that is a real problem. We want to make space for people to come find their place at the table with Jesus. So we're going to try this, starting in the beginning of the year. We have never done this before. You may be sitting your head and saying, okay, but everything times two, how does that work? It's a great question. Answers on a postcard, please. I don't know. I don't know, but I have always believed that we are better off together trying for the sake of the kingdom and coming up short than we are never trying. Do you understand what I'm saying? To sit still and to not see the edges of where the kingdom is and never push for there is a mistake. And together, we're going to try. And we have no idea what will happen. I have no idea how that will go. None. But what I do know is that Jesus has been faithful to us and to this church for years now in a way that is still surprising to me. I just can't quite believe that it keeps on working. So I trust him. And the other thing I know is I love you all. I know that I, there are no other people that I want to be trying to do this with. I've seen your character. I've seen your generosity. And I, I love you. And I am honored and privileged to just try stuff for the name of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom with you. And so I know that regardless of how this goes, how bumpy or smooth the road is, we will be all right together. We're we're going to be better than all right together. Some of you might be saying, I did not want to come to a church with two services. This is is difficult change for me. And what I would say to you is, some of the stuff that I've been processing in my own life is that it is in the context of stretching and change challenge that God does some of his most deeply transformative work in our lives. And so if you are challenged and you are unsure, if you are afraid, let me just encourage you. You are in the moment of your life where you are closest to seeing God act and to move and to do something deep in your heart. And I would say that as somebody who has seen it in their own. I'm with you. I'm with you. The better news is Jesus is with us. So we're going to be talking more about this as the months go along. Um, so we can build up to this. I can tell you right away that Jen Aiken is going to want to have a conversation with some of you. Let me just, just for her sake, just say this because we're going to have we're going to have kids classes in both both services. She has already talked to some people who have considered as teachers who consider this as a privilege and a blessing. Because they can say, "Hey, I'll take 6 weeks of one smaller class at a time." Cuz then I can go to church the next service. Or I can go to the one before. So I'll stick with my class and I still get to go to church like somebody else. So I would just encourage you right now, as you think about Jen, I think probably it's everybody else's first instinct, like, what about Jen and the kids? Pray for her. Um, Think about that, though, that you would have the opportunity to stick with kids for longer in a smaller context and still be able to go to church. There's all kinds of stuff like that on the table. We're going to be in it together. We're going to keep talking through it together. What is God going to do? I don't know. But I trust him that he's good. And I'm excited to make more space at the table for people to come and see that. This is the end of my stool chat. Please feel free to come talk to me or any of the elders. Um, We'd love to have a conversation with you about if you have questions, concerns, whatever. It's understandable. You can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 9, the seventh verse. <laughs> the teacher writes, Go eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head, enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun." Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. And this is from the book of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know... What tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we could hear it together. God, I thank you that you've brought each of these people here today, not by their own will alone, but by your will to come and hear this word. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to hear these words from your mouth. God, I pray that you would help me to speak alongside your word, not over and above it. Father, may our hearts be stirred to love you and our lives lived in joyful gratitude to this word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I am. Uh, I am glad that each of you are here to hear this word. If you've been with us in Ecclesiastes, um, you may have gotten the impression that the point of Ecclesiastes is depression, uh, because it just repeatedly kind of gets in our faces and says, "You are going to die," and it does. It does do that. The point of Ecclesiastes, though, is not depression. It is not to make you believe that your life is worthless. It is instead a book of wisdom, how to live your life wisely and well. And the teacher is saying to you, you cannot do that without understanding that you will die. Death is the great Unchangeable feature of every person's life. And if you are going to try to live a life wisely, you better reckon with that truth. The point of Ecclesiastes is not to make you depressed, it is to make you live. And this little section, of which there are several sprinkled out the book of Ecclesiastes, brings that theme to the fore. The teacher tells you to eat well, to dress joyfully, to embrace all the goodness that your life has because you don't know when you will die. He's already settled for us that everybody will die, but the timing of our death is a mystery to us. He says that here in this 12th verse. Man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So are the children of men. You are going to be living down the stream of your life and sometime you will be swooped up in the net of death. And because you don't know when that will happen, you should live your life alternatively. You should live with the end in mind. Which is the same thing that James is telling us. That we may want to make all kinds of plans and have all kinds of ambitions. But he says, you ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, I will do such and such or this and that. Because we just don't know how many days are given to us and are numbered to us. And again, this is not... a a cause for concern or for weeping for the teacher. It is a correction on the priorities of our life. And what the teacher is is bringing out here, what is being given over to us, is the goodness that is available to you and I in life. That we, of all people who understand that death is inescapable, that death is a, a mystery, we, of all people, should be the kind of people that embrace Everything that life has to offer to soak up every ounce of goodness available to us. To drink deeply from the well of God's generosity and to live a kind of life that is not marked by mourning, but of joy. He doesn't say here to clothe yourself in the clothes of sackcloth and ashes. He says, let your garment be always white. In a culture that wears the sign of grieving on their body all the time, in, in black cloth and ashes with wailing and mourning, he says, Let your clothes be white, and let the, the joy, the oil of joy crown your head. Now clearly the teacher of Ecclesiastes is, is not saying like everybody pretend everything is fine. I mean, of any book in the Bible that you're going to get that message from, it isn't this one. This book is not going to tell you that everything is fine. It's instead saying that even in the context of a world that is broken and marked by all the pain of a fallen creation, we still have to remember that sin and brokenness does not have the final word on even this version of creation. Creation is Truly not as it was meant to be right now. Sin is everywhere. We all bear the signs and the scars of sin's presence. But sin doesn't have the final word now. Even now, life is full of all kinds of goodness. And people of God should be people who are not just dour, who who know nothing of the pleasures of this life, who have no ability to celebrate because we're too spiritual for it. Instead, we should be the kind of people who rightly celebrate all that there is to celebrate in this world. If your life is so marked by speed and efficiency and getting every piece of your schedule done that you can never have a truly good meal Something is wrong with your life. It is not just people who are not following Jesus that that enjoy the pleasures of this world. In fact, what, what the scriptures are teaching us is we should be people who proclaim the pleasures of this world. We enjoy them. We demonstrate them. We share them with one another. We don't have to be the kind of people who live for those pleasures of this world. We are still a people who fast regularly. But we are also a people who feast regularly. And if you don't know the last time when you had a really and truly good meal, you should leave this place today and reorganize your calendar to do just that. And you are not wasting your time. You are not wasting your resources. You are obeying the scriptures. There is something delightful about a well-made meal eaten slowly with a perfectly paired glass of wine. There is a kind of pleasure there that is not replicated in other places. And when my life slows down long enough... To eat slow and sip slow. My heart is filled with joy. And life is full of these kinds of pleasures, not just at the table, but around the table and everywhere. People are coming from all over the world, and don't we know it, to drive around on our streets and look up at the mountains very slowly. They're wonderful, lovely people, boon to the economy, blah, blah, blah. There's so many people here to look at trees dying in our backyards. We live here. The other day, I was playing golf with friends very badly, as usual, as is my habit in training. And in Black Mountain, I can walk that golf course and play terrible golf for $10. And I cannot make that stupid little ball go in that hole without very ridiculous numbers of strokes. And I get so frustrated because I just want to be better. But when I finally get that stupid little ball out of the hole and stand up, I am surrounded by the most beautiful place that I can imagine. And what do you think it is that a Christian ought to do in that moment? Should I close my eyes and say the pleasures of this world are passing and fleeting? It is a mist. It is a vapor. We are all going to die. I'm not. I can't see this. I stand there with eyes wide open and a heart full full of gratitude, that I can be there with friends, that I can walk in a quiet and beautiful place, that God has done something good and lasting that will be bigger than my own life. That those hills, these hills have been here for generations and generations, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and they've always been beautiful, year after year after year, lifetime after lifetime. Who did that? God did that. And He made me to be His Son. What do you think the Father wants from me in that moment? But to enjoy Him. There is something valuable and important in the life that you live with other people. He speaks to the pleasure that a man has in living joyfully with his wife. These simple pleasures of being together are the things that you and I were made for. People in the kingdom were meant to eat good meals and they were not meant to be lonely. Which is, of course, the pain of passages like this, right? Because many people still find themselves lonely. And let let me just say, if you are not married... This is not presenting to you a kind of pleasure that you are forbidden from. You have the treasure of friendship in your life that our world so dramatically undermines, that says every friendship must be romantic to truly be love. Which is, by the way, a radically new and unhealthy view of friendship. If you read ancient literature, they have this exalted view of the friend that we have lost for the sake of shoving everything into romance. There is friendship, and there is community, and there is life together in the kingdom for all people, single or married. And those things are important. It is that's why we tell people to be together in community. It is because those are good gifts that are meant to get you to reflect your life upward in gratitude towards God. The things that God provides for his people are ordinary and common And such is an incredible display of generosity that God is so generous that these things are sprinkled throughout our life everywhere. Just, they're all over the place. That generosity is not something to pass by, but it is something to embrace with the fullness of a life that we know is going to be over So fast. My wife and I were getting ready for bed the other night, and she made some sarcastic comments, so I took her pillow and I threw it. After she'd already got in bed, threw it across the room, because then I knew she'd have to get out from under the covers and go get the pillow. She sought her revenge on me by trying to hurt me And I just refused to allow her and began to tickle her. (laughs) And just the way that I know that I can make her scream. And so, like, there's minutes and minutes and minutes of I'm trying to maybe push her off the bed, possibly just tickle her literally to death (laughs) while she tries to inflict violence upon me. Eventually, you know, we're both laughing, I surrender and I go retrieve the pillow. Because, oh, by the way, she also threw mine across the room (laughs) as a vengeance. And as all this was happening, I was, this rarely happens to me. But I was just saying in my heart, thank you, God, for this moment. For, For just the ordinary gift, there's so simple in its generosity that I have somebody in my life to play with, to enjoy, and to torture at bedtime. <laughs> I was so grateful. And I was then struck by how grateful I was. Because isn't my day often filled with a thousand moments of little generosities like that? Christian people are meant to be grateful and joyful people. We're not going to lie about the nature of the world. There is suffering and heartbreak in the world. But we can't only say that there's that. Because that too would be a lie. The truth is that God made the world and it is so charged with his own goodness that not even our sins, could wipe it free. David Gibson in his commentary of this passage says, "We eat and drink as we vanish from the earth like a vapor. But one day we will eat and drink in the city of the king where death will have vanished from the earth forever." Those without Christ often abandon themselves to eating and drinking because sometimes it looks as if that's all there is to do before we die. But those who love Christ cherish eating and drinking because it looks a little like what we will do after we die. We are freed by the realities of our own mortality in the light of the truth about God's nature to be an inherently celebratory people. Jesus is constantly partying in the Gospels. They get after him because he looks like a glutton. His life is so full of goodness and kindness that all the people who should be repelled by his holiness are so deeply attracted to him in the life that he is living. My question to you is, are our lives marked by that same quality? Are our lives marked by that kind of irresistible kindness, celebration, and joy? Or are we too busy? Are we too efficient? Are we only hearing the story that the world tells about the way things are? Maybe you are in the place where you are saying, I am too broken hearted. To do this. I can't fake my way or pretend. And there's good news for you. You don't have to. There's nobody asking for a show here. You don't have to pretend. But you get to live that grief in company with your brothers and sisters who will both fast and mourn with you so that one day when this season is over, they themselves will crack the bottle of wine to celebrate with you. If you are here today and you are consumed by a vision of this world that is dark and gloomy, if you have heard certain notes of Ecclesiastes and think that death gets its final word, there's some really good news. God is better in all the things you might see truly, and he has done more than just endure the, the brokenness that we have cast upon the canvas of his creation. His goodness is unerasable, and he has yet more for you. There is, I don't think, a mistake here, that the demonstration of this goodness sounds like something that ought to be familiar. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Let your garments be white. All the descriptions of the kingdom coming in fullness sound just like this You are invited to the king's banqueting table. The table of God's goodness and the pleasures of his presence with his people are not momentary. They are not vaporous. They will never, ever end. And if your heart is longing to for, what, for what all your feasting is pointing to, if you have tried so hard to find the pleasures of this world to satisfy This thing is what you are craving. It is a life full of joy and feasting in the presence of the King who is your Creator. And He has made a way to the table for you. In Jesus, all of your hopes are fulfilled. And you don't have to be enslaved to your passions and pleasures, but instead you can be freed by him to receive all of those things as the gifts that they are so that you will be clothed in white now and forever, never cast off from the presence of God and the joy found at his table. The king has come for you. This is your great joy, which no one can remove. When you hear these words, hear them rightly. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for all of your provision. God, we are people prone to ingratitude, to being overwhelmed. We are people who are full of pain and of heartache. And we, we don't know oftentimes how to properly see and respond to this world that we live in. We don't know what it means. We are like fish caught in the net or a bird caught in the snare. But you are so patient with us. You're so kind. Your goodness is etched everywhere in creation. Father, I I pray for those who have found themselves excluded. Who find themselves hungry and alone. Father, I pray that they will find the feast prepared before them by nail-pierced hands, by the God who made all things. God, I pray that the lonely will find that there is a community prepared for them who is there to both feast and fast with them. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be lifted up to you in thanksgiving that we would not pass by the ordinary moments of goodness given over to us, but instead we will see them as the signs that they are. Jesus, there is no one like you. The holy, righteous, atoning God come to judge justly and to set the feast for for the party. God, let our hearts be captivated by you. Let the pleasures of this world find their right size in our life. Let our hearts be more than anything else, be filled with great joy. Now and forever. Amen.